Hello, America. This is Robert Reese, and welcome to CEO Show. We're here today with Adrian Bridge. How are you, Adrian? I'm very well, Robert. It's a great pleasure to see you again after, what is it, four or five years since we were last together. Th that's right. And, and, and then we were face-to-face, -face and now we're remote. Um, but I do want to tell you, I said, I said, hello, America. But this actually, we want to welcome Portugal as well and the rest of the world, because this is going to be a really fascinating interview. Adrian Bridge and I have spoken in the past, and he is the CEO and chairman of the Flaggate Partnership. Now, the origins of this company were founded in 1692, so it's one of the oldest in the world. So what we are going to talk about is how do you innovate a company with such a deep heritage, but then we're going to talk about Portugal and what's going on there because that's where you're located. And that is really becoming like Lisbon is becoming the Silicon Valley of Europe. So we have a lot to talk about. But first start off, Adrian, as president, as as rather chairman and CEO, talk about what the partnership is. Well, so the Flaggate Partnership really came out of the uh, process by which we were consolidating the port industry. So our origins, as you rightly say, at the end of the 17th century, uh, 1692, when our founder left Britain, came to Portugal, uh, started trading in port. But in the 1949, we bought another company called Fonseca. So we went from Taylor Flaggate to Fonseca. And then really in the since I've been sort of CEO in the last 25 years, we bought another six or seven port companies. This industry is consolidated necessarily because alcohol distribution channels around the world have consolidated. Um, and as a result of that, you know, we really wanted to bring all these new businesses together under one identity, one culture, rather than have them feeling that, that, that they were the acquirer and the acquired. We wanted everyone to come together under what we called a partnership in order to create the sense that everybody was working together with a common goal. And you even acquired one company, um, Croftport, which was founded in 1588. I know so, it's, rare, it's rare to get very old companies. And, and that one uh, certainly dates back right down back to the time of the um, end of the 16th century and, uh, and the Spanish invasion of Britain, um, the Armada, the famous Armada of 1588, which, of course, was turned back. But, but Croft didn't turn back. Croft kept going, made port uh, for over four centuries before uh, it joined our group. And, uh, and now is an important, integral part of, of what we do in the port business. So I want to ask you about the word reputation. When you take a venerable company with over 300 years history, and there are very few in the whole world, how do you look at a word like reputation and specifically you you made major innovations one with a hotel two introducing the first rose port in the world so the word reputation how does that tie in and how do you really innovate well I, so first of all i think innovation is the lifeblood of any company we've we've got to look forward so regardless of whether we've got 300 or 400 years of history behind us um, we can't sit and rest on our laurels we've got to think about how we relevant to today today's consumer and to future consumers and, and they change 
Um, you know, one of the things that has obviously been helpful to us is that alcohol hasn't gone out of fashion in the last, you know, three or four hundred years. So people are still drinking, but nowadays they tend to prefer different things, um, uh, perhaps the different styles, perhaps different moments of consumption. So one's got to innovate for that. I think one also has to remember that every year globally, there are people who come of age where they are allowed to drink alcohol. And as such, you know, we need to teach them. We can't make assumptions that because their parents or grandparents you know, knew and understood port, that, that they know it all. We, we must teach every new generation and we must adapt to what they want um, in, in, for, for their lifestyle. And so innovation, absolutely crucial. And that comes not just in product. You talked about, you know, um, Croft Pink, Rosé Port, but more recently expanded into ready-to-drinks with premixes in tonic or the super luxury aged tawnies, which we have created, um, or indeed in packaging. But it goes beyond that because we're a vertically integrated company. So, you know, it starts in the vineyard, new technologies, new ways to do things, and it accumulates right through um, our entire process to end up with with luxury goods that we trade in what 105 countries around the world give it just give a quick story of how the innovation on the hotel came to be and how on, on these different innovations you're talking about also the the um the super luxury yeah so i think taking the hotel i mean we're based in porto we have been um, since the end of the 17th century. But this was a city that was really um, for business. Um, it was a city that was dominated by the bishop. In fact, noble families couldn't live in the city of Porto for more than three nights without having a fine uh, because the bishop controlled everything. So it was the, the bishop, business people, the bourgeoisie. And this was really remained a destination for 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 business. This is where the the money is made in Portugal. I mean, it's spent down in Lisbon, but but it's made up here. Um, but it wasn't a leisure destination. Um, and only as recently as you know, 2010, we opened um, the Yatman, which was really the first leisure hotel um, in the city of Porto, purely designed, I think, at that stage to to welcome people who were interested in port. And if they were interested in port, they were probably interested in table wine. And if they're interested in those two, in fine food. So I hired um, a Michelin-starred chef to to run our, um, our our food operation. And he's still been with us um, all these years later. Of course, he now has two Michelin stars. But, but the point about it is that it opened up a destination. And what we did with that is when I took that to the world, I didn't say, come and stay at the Yateman. We took it to the world on the basis of defining a destination. What we said is here is Porto, in a couple of thousand years of history, um, incredible architecture, incredible uh, cultural traditions, food traditions, wine traditions. And there's never really been a hotel that's done it justice. We built it, it was the Yateman. It's an oasis in the center of the city. It's in a very privileged position with spectacular views across the whole of the city. It's become the quality reference in Northern Portugal, one of the top three in the country, um, and probably the leading wine hotel in Europe. So it had a it had a destination, it had a raison d'etre, it had a niche that we were looking to serve, which was really you know food and wine lovers. That's a broad niche, but but from that you know we've been able to build our business, and as our business has expanded and the notoriety of the destination has increased, many other people have come into the destination, opened hotels with their own. A particular twist 
and 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 particular service and position, which which has helped everybody. Uh, we are going to talk more about that in a few minutes, and we're going to talk about specifically Portugal. But I just want to ask: Is there anything in terms of leadership that you learned from your your background, which was very different? Six years in the Queen's Army, and then six years investment banking with NatWest. Anything from a leadership perspective that you learned from those two experiences that helped you drive the innovation and success of Flaggate Partnership? Well, certainly, I think that you know my time in the Queen's Dragoon Guards. Um, uh, you know, I won a I won the sort of honor at Sandhurst, which is the sort of leading cadet in in what is the top sort of military, one of the top military um, leadership schools in the world. And either there, I think, you know, you learn about the confidence to to um, stand up, to present, to have your ideas, to drive those uh, ideas through. You know, the reality of of many of the innovations that that I've achieved has been. Along the way, everyone has said, oh, you can't do that. Oh, this isn't possible. Oh, Adrian, a hotel of that. Oh, it's in the wrong part of Porto. Oh, this is only Portugal. This is only this or that. You know, there's always naysayers. And I think that that um, once you've been through perhaps a military, even in banking, and you have, you know, you have the experience of saying, well, no, this is what we, you know, we've done the analysis. We think we can do this. You, it needs to be led. Um, it just can't be a passive process. You actually have to lead it. It needs confidence. It needs um authority um it needs humility um as well but at the same time you know you don't want to be put off your your final uh, uh, objective because there's always going to be people who who don't necessarily believe it or see it and 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 they see it afterwards you know many of the people who told me the Yakeman would never work come back to me today and say well of course it's obvious that it's successful it's got this amazing view and i say i didn't build the view i built the hotel um and I think I think it's that resilience. I think the other point I would make, and I think this is probably very important in today's world, because we're bombarded with data. And there's always a sense that if I just leave it a little bit longer, I'll have more data, I'll have better data, I'll be able to make a better decision. One of the things you learn in the military is you've got to make the decision on the information you have at hand at that moment. Um, make the decision and move. Now, adapt the decision as as the as things unfold in front of you. You can't be totally rigid, but you can't sit and wait uh, for perfect data because it's never going to be there. Um, so I think clear objective, uh, focus on that objective, make the decision based on best information available, adapt and change as you move forward without losing sight of the end vision of where you want to be. That came from the army. It's been super useful to me in the 25 years I've led this business. And those are significant insights that everyone has just heard on leadership. We're about to take a commercial break. When we come back, we're going to talk about Portugal, specifically from a person who leads a company that has been there over 300 years. Back in a few. Hi, this is Robert Reese on The CEO Show, where we speak with the CEOs who've reinvented the fabric of global economy. And we're here today with Adrian Bridge, who's the chairman and CEO of the Flaggate Partnership. This is a company having roots in 1692. And you have been in Portugal and you explain the whole model. But basically, Portugal is really fascinating. I remember the last time I was there and what 
what a stunning country it is and the Algarve, but but really Lisbon is becoming, as you have said, the Silicon Valley of Europe. Talk about what's happening in Lisbon and how that ties to your relationship in running Flaggate. Well, so <clears throat> the thing about Portugal is it's a small country on the edge of the western edge of Europe, sometimes gets forgotten. Uh, certainly during the COVID, we were we were stuck down on the edge, which was a little bit challenging. But but you know, we've also been a global powerhouse. Um, okay, it was back in the um 15th and 16th century, and, and pretty much since the 15th to 16th century, we haven't really upset anybody. So this is a you know, it's a safe location, it's part of Europe. Everybody here speaks um, English uh, because Portuguese is a tricky language um, and everyone here is super friendly and, and very service orientated. So these are very core ingredients that you add that to what has now become a very stable economy in the post the global financial crisis. And you really have this ingredients for uh, businesses to set up. I think it's been accelerated through um, the new technology that allows us today to communicate as though we're sitting in one room. Um, as people look to set up businesses, particularly in the tech area where they may have a global workforce, um, you know, this this ability to 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 reach the world, to have all the ingredients to set up a company, uh, to have lifestyle uh, offer to your staff as well. Remember, we have this wonderful coastline. You've already mentioned that we've got, you know, sunshine and beaches as well um, as good food and wine and all the other things that that come together. And I think it's all these ingredients that has made this a very um, exciting destination. And, you know, we're welcoming people from across the globe uh, coming to live in Portugal, to invest in Portugal. Um, and that's making it just more exciting because if you take Lisbon, which is now becoming a, a super center for uh, technology uh, and is being considered the sort of, you know, the Silicon Valley of Europe, you know, it's a melting pot of people from across the world um, coming together uh, with behind technology um, to really drive you know exciting levels of startups and, and and activity and from many of the companies that are that are starting up here in Portugal I'm sure we'll have future global global leaders so it's been a very exciting time uh, to live and work in Portugal I think one of the key changes I would point to in the last ten. 12 years would be confidence. So what's happened is that in the past, people just thought, well, it's little old Portugal just on the edge, nobody really cares. To now an idea that actually this is a dynamic nation with a lot of potential with attracting investments and, and people from across the planet. With that is a massive increase of confidence. And with that confidence, you get this wonderful uh, virtuous circle created People feel good, they invest more, it creates a positive environment, and 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 it gets this idea that anything can be done, anything can be achieved. That's interesting, this, this cycle that's being created. What do you see the future of Portugal as being? Well, I think it it, it it's more of the same. I think we continue. I think we've got a uh, compared to some other European countries, our population is a little bit younger. Um, as I say, the fact that everyone here speaks English allows us to communicate across the world. We're in a very appropriate time zone. You know, we are in um, on GMT, so we're we're right in the heart uh, of it. We're closely connected to the United States. I mean, it's 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 pretty easy to get across to America. It's pretty easy to get around the world. 
were loved in places like uh, Asia. I mean, the the Chinese connection to Portugal through the old um, empirical asset of um, of Macau uh, led to people having a fond a fond positioning of um, of Portugal. The same in India, with where the Goan uh community uh or the community of goa the city of goa um, again has deep portuguese roots uh, means that we are a connected nation with you know really all the ingredients in place and i think add to that you know confidence inward investment bit of money a bit of excitement lots of dynamic people and as i say you get this wonderful virtuous circle what would you say when you talk about innovation You've just spoken about the technology and the advances. And at the same time, you've one of the oldest companies in the world. How do you view technologies that are driving business forward now, be it generative AI? Well, I think I think all of these are useful tools. I think the challenge for us is to try to understand them, to talk to the people who do understand them and see how they can be applied. I think that comes from... You know, the root of innovation is is not being frightened to try something new, try something different. And it, it, it comes with that. that first... I must interrupt. That was a brilliant statement. Everyone, listen, that's the heart, the root of innovation, not being afraid to try something. Keep going, Adrian. Yeah. So not to be tried, but and, 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 and to do it with a purpose um, and not to do it for the sake of change. So you don't throw out what's working just because it's old. You keep the best of what you've got, but you push the boundaries of everything you do. And I look at any business as being a, uh, a continuum of multiple moving parts. And I'm a great believer in the, the sum of the one percent. So if you know if it's a processes of 20 processes to make something and you can improve each one of those 20 processes by one percent, you end up with a 20 percent difference at the end. And that's where technology makes a difference, because for us, each one of those processes being looked at, being prepared to try new things, use whatever technology, whatever ideas, whatever new new thinking can we improve? Each of those little improvements adds up to something in the end. And, and that's where I think the real energy of innovation can come, come from. And how do you really align and motivate your people to be innovative? You've people who've been there for many, many years. Um, how, what advice do you have on building a great culture that is highly focused on quality, which you are? Well, look, it comes from them having pride in in what they do and belief in what they do. Um, obviously, you know, you create the feedback loops that show that the efforts that they make um, count. I mean, again, it goes back to this process. If you're looking, you're not looking at a start and purely the finish, but all the way along the the value chain of what you do. Um, everybody who's contributing to it and understands they're contributing, and in some understands they're very important to the end goal. That creates an ethos and a culture that, that, that looks to quality and success. I think it's important that in all our businesses that we've expanded into, um, we, we have the same positioning. So whether the positioning for our ports or our table wines or our hotels or anything that we've done are always positioned for that sort of more luxury end of the market, the quality driven. Um, I'm a strong believer that whilst there's a space in the market for all levels of 
uh, of uh, business operators. I think ultimately people will gravitate towards quality. Um, and you know, it's all part of that continuum, part of that journey. We're not looking to service people across their entire journey. We're really capturing them at a, at a certain later point, perhaps, uh, when quality really matters. But being able to um, to do that, to have the confidence to deliver that, to empower the teams to be able to do that and to contribute, I think matters hugely. But but they have to believe in the vision, and they have to believe that what they're doing actually counts and 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 you know that that's where culture and feedback loops become hugely important anyone who's interested for example in trying your super luxury port or is interested in finding out more about Flaggate, what is the website well so we've got various websites for our different port brands so we've got for example, the overarching, overarching one is is the flaggatepartnership.com. But if you go to uh, Taylor's T A Y L O R dot P T, um, which is one of you know our main and our oldest port brand, you know that's been in continuous uh, family ownership and management for 331 years now. Um, so www.taylor.pt. From there, you will find the connections to Fonseca, to Taylor Flaggate, to Croft to our hotel, the Yateman, and to other businesses that we have, including, you know, the World of Wine, which is, you know, is our latest um, project launched right in the middle of COVID. I mean, the most horrible time to launch a business was something that was tourist orientated, opened at the very beginning of August of uh, 2020, right when everything was shut. Um, and again, you know, that, that, that that's how do you motivate a team 400 new employees who are have been employed for a tourist project where there's no there's nobody there um and obviously you know the, the point for them is to understand that it's about building something for long term and i think that's sometimes nowadays we get caught up in the very short term performance and forget that the successful businesses are built over the medium to long term not over the you know over a couple of weeks and or months and and that's where you know something like the world of one absolutely super world class it knows what it's doing yes it's it's been tough to build but we are patient capital by definition we wouldn't have lasted over three centuries if we weren't and there you have it adrian i want to thank you for being a guest on the ceo show robert it's been my absolute pleasure to talk to you again thank you very much for inviting me on and it's fantastic to be able to communicate and get together in this way and to to hear about the success that the, the CEO uh, organization has and to be part of it. So thank you indeed. My pleasure. And everyone, remember what Adrian told you. He learned from being in the Queen's Army is don't wait for perfect data. You need to be willing to make the decisions with what information you have at hand. And with that, we will see you next week. Thank you very much.